Section 5 of In Italy with the 332nd Infantry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In Italy with the 332nd Infantry by Joseph L. Letow. Section 5 chapter four treviso before the drive treviso is situated about eighteen miles northwest of venice before the war its population was about seventeen thousand but when we came to treviso it looked like a city of the dead nearly all the buildings were locked and the windows were boarded up while many houses were in ruins from aeroplane raids most of the people had fled a walk around the town revealed an entirely different style of architecture than we had ever seen. This difference consists in the second floor of the buildings arching over the sidewalks as far as the curb, the supports being columns flush with the curbing. The arrangement was beneficial during the long rainy season. Many canals of a questionable degree of sanitation dissect the town was a constant wonder to us that disease did not result from them. It is certain that many mosquitoes were bred there. The women washed clothes on the banks of the streams. A city wall of ancient date, as could be seen from the Venetian lion shown thereon, completely encircled the town. This lion, found on many walls and monuments in the vicinity, marked the time when Venice ruled Treviso, and adjacent territory from the fourteenth to the seventeenth centuries there were few buildings of note the cathedral of san pietro with titian's annunciation and the municipio were most important besides these there were the usual shops selling military goods mostly of american origin perfumes postcards and vino at night treviso was not inviting Having been severely bombed by Austrian aviators, no outside lights were tolerated, and those burning indoors had to be well screened. The only places where one could find amusement were in the little wine rooms. A typical approach to one was through a dark, narrow street. A tiny gleam of light cast a streak across the alley. As one drew near, loud laughter and talk was heard. It is bottled sunshine present in the red and white wines the cognacs vermouths and grappa the headquarters of the regiment and our billets were in a three-story college building which with its many small rooms made the most ideal place we had had thus far the offices were well furnished with good tables desks chairs and electric lights there was also a piano which with the stringed instruments played by members of the band made a jazz band that commanded attention the companies were still housed in the two barracks. Straw was provided for the bed sacks, which were placed on the floor. Stone floors may wear better than wooden floors, but they are not nearly so efficient as beds. The next time there is a war, let's hope it is in a country where wooden floors are in style. The rolling kitchens were set up in the yard below, where the meals were served. The meals generally consisted of beef, brown beans, macaroni, rice, coffee, war bread, and macaroni, rice, 
war bread, beef, brown beans, and coffee. On the 13th of October, the 2nd Battalion came out of the trenches, and about two days later joined us at Treviso. Though not one had been injured or killed, they were proclaimed heroes and were the envy of the regiment. The work of the day consisted of long, vigorous hikes with full mobile equipment worn. To add to the work, the weather was rainy and cold. It was at this time that the changing of clothes was adopted in order to create a false impression as to the number of Americans in Italy. Upon going out in the morning, overcoats and helmets were worn, and upon returning in the afternoon, by a different route, the overcoats and helmets were out of sight, and raincoats and caps were worn. The next day, perhaps, the change would be to leather jerkins. The object was attained, for later the Austrian prisoners reported that they had been under the impression that there were several divisions of Americans in Italy. In Treviso we were fortunate enough to be able to obtain hot baths and real tubs. Two hospitals, one of which had been bombed, containing seven and five tubs, respectively, became the busiest places in town. The price of two and one-half lires per bath was charged. Sharing Treviso with us were several thousand Italian soldiers and a few thousand English and Scotch troops. These British troops were a happy crowd. Four years of war had made happy-go-lucky lads out of the most serious. We attended their picture shows, played football with them, and clinked cups with them in perfect harmony. About this time, Ostend and Lille were falling, and the whole Hindenburg line was crumbling. Talk of an early peace filled the air. This was welcome news, for our thoughts were always of home. Nevertheless, we wanted to return only after decisive victory for the Allies. On the other hand, the news from home at this time was startling in its account of the ravages of a strange disease, influenza, which was decimating our camps and was spreading to the civilians. Till this time, we had had no trouble with the flu. About October 29th, the moon came out in all its silvery splendor. It was so noticeable because it was practically the only light we had outdoors. The evenings were mild and inviting, and as we walked under the arched houses and over the many little stone bridges, we talked of the possibility of an air raid, for moonlight nights are the delight of aviators. On the night of October 22nd, I retired early. My sleep was unbroken until about 11 p.m. when I was awakened by an awful concussion which seemed just a block away. It appeared to my startled senses that a part of the earth had in some way torn loose from the main body and was hurtling through the sky. I do not remember of sitting up in bed, but I suppose I did. The first object to meet my startled gaze was my roommate running toward the window exclaiming what's that i bounded from the bed and gaining the window peered anxiously at the heavens for in a flash i realized it was an air raid despite the din and roar of the guns far and near we could hear the hum of the motors but could see no planes a machine gun across the street in a building with its rapid tat 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 sounded ridiculously like a woodpecker drumming on a tree and in spite of the danger caused much amusement. A block or so away, a big gun boomed every few minutes, while for miles around, 
guns of all sizes spoke the sky was dotted with the beams of powerful searchlights which tried to locate the invaders while the moon was bright there were many small black clouds swiftly moving across the sky it was an ideal night for a raid we listened to the guns and watched the flares and then wondered at the silence in the building upon investigation we found all of the boys in the yard below looking up at the sky we joined them the great light still searched the heavens the beams reminding one of a boy's mirror shining on the ceiling of a room far up black little puffs of smoke from the shells of the anti-aircraft guns floated around and sometimes we mistook them for aeroplanes again far above a small flame would burst forth and drop and all would be dark again it was not long however before we saw the folly of standing in the open for a shrapnel from our guns rained upon the ground near us sounding like horseshoes as they struck the pavement as soon as the rain was over the boys ran out to collect souvenirs these consisting of rusty jagged pieces of iron some eight inches long without seeing the aeroplanes we retired to the straw ticks somewhat disappointed nevertheless before we could get to sleep the big gun up the road spoke again and the chorus of smaller ones followed again we rushed from the room to follow the lights the flares and the smoke clouds this time our curiosity was rewarded with the sight of a plane in the searchlight's ray the whole body of the plane looked as if it had been dipped in phosphorus it gleamed i have no idea how fast that little body moved across the sky shells were bursting all around it and we expected every moment to see it fall a mass of flames but it proved too fast for the gunners as it at length scurried behind a cloud out of the grasp of the searchlight she'll never forget that plane hurrying like a living thing to its haven behind the cloud this thrilling scene enacted we once more returned to resume our sleep however we were again roused when the raiders returned this time the attack was short to our surprise we learned in the morning that no great damage was done and we heard with joy that not an american in any of the three outlying barracks was hurt these boys were not allowed out of the barracks and as one had put it i lay flat on the floor so tight against the wall that i thought i'd push the wall out we thought at that time that the planes were out to bomb roads and supplies but we were told later that they came over to get the english and americans in fact an austrian aviator who had been in the raid was indiscreet enough to boast about it in fiume to some of the third battalion men when they were in fiume when he came to he thought he had collided with the moon with the allies smashing on on every front the long quiet italian front suddenly burst into flame on the morning of october twenty fourth when the fourth italian army began its attack in the mount grappa region the italian commando supremo at last had an opportunity of using its cherished plan which was to separate the austrians in the trentino from those in the piave section by breaking through at vittorio and by an enveloping movement to bring about the fall of the whole mountain front which would in turn make imperative an austrian retreat from the plain during october every available man and gun had been brought to the front and between the brenta river and the sea five armies were concentrated 
all movements were to be completed by october tenth but the rain raised the piave river which was the dividing line of the two combatants so that nothing could be done until the twenty fourth opposed to the sixty three and one half austrian divisions made up of one million seventy thousand men and seven thousand guns were fifty seven allied divisions or nine hundred and twelve thousand men and eight thousand nine hundred and twenty nine guns of these fifty seven divisions fifty one were italian three were british two were french and one was czechoslovak in addition there was the young and ardent three hundred and thirty second american regiment which was attached to the tenth army one of the four armies selected to break through the line before vittorio the task allotted to the tenth army was to force its way across the piave at the island gravi di papadopoli a desperate battle raged across the entire front but the tenth could not cross the piave owing to another rise in the river until three bridges were thrown across on the twenty sixth the tenth crossed broke down the enemy resistance and went on to simadono taking during the day over five thousand six hundred prisoners and twenty-four guns somehow the three hundred and thirty-second was held in reserve and did not participate in this great battle of vittorio veneto until several days after it had started we were still in treviso the night of the twenty-sixth and when now and then an occasional austrian shell whistled over the town we began to think that there was a war in italy some of the boys were in favor of retiring to the specially built dugouts under the city wall i joined a party of italian and italian-american soldiers among them an american interpreter we descended into one of these holes my surprise was great when upon reaching the bottom of the steps i found all sizes ages and sexes of civilians and several soldiers some standing some sitting and some lying in cots i had not known that there were so many civilians in treviso we stood around for a few minutes but the atmosphere was such that we decided we would rather risk a big bertha than breathe that air in our party were several italian telegraphers who maintained a station in a heavily sandbagged building in the centre of town i was invited to accompany them and i enjoyed several hours of unique entertainment it was midnight when we arrived at the station one of the telegraphers went out to procure wine while another reconnoitred the kitchen the result of their labors was wine war bread and onions thus we feasted at two thirty with the repast over and the guns somewhat quieted we heated our drooping eyelids and returned to our quarters the next morning we received the glorious news that the scotch and english had crossed the supposedly impassable piave river and had advanced four miles beyond it several batches of prisoners came in they were a ragged wretched looking lot they did not look like the fierce huns we had heard about from pale emaciated faces their eyes looked out like those of dumb animals an american near me muttered there is a grand indictment of war the allies were pleasantly engaged in going through the pockets of the prisoners in search of souvenirs if something of value was found a cigarette or a piece of bread was given the hapless prisoner sometimes 
much money of a kind new to the world was found on the austrians the austrians had been so sure of ultimate success that they had printed italian money had paid their soldiers with it and had forced the people whose towns they occupied to accept it the sight of the prisoners sent exciting thoughts through our minds for with the battle raging within earshot we asked each other when will our turn come were we to continue our propaganda mission or were we reserves some time before we had been placed under the command of an italian general and had been assigned to his division did this mean that we moved toward the battle line possibly the commanding officer knew but the boys were bewildered everything seemed set for an early departure barracks bags and surplus supplies had been stowed away and men were detailed to remain as guards the mail service ceased and when the boys started on the march in the morning no one knew if they were on a practice march or if they were advancing to battle as usual rumors were rampant and the news reached us at headquarters more than once that our companies had started for the front on the night of october twenty eighth about nine p m when i returned from a visit i found headquarters in an uproar in breathless tones someone informed me that i'd better hurry and get ready for we were leaving before midnight word had been received a few minutes before from the italian commander i bounded up the stairs and into my room most of my effects had been stowed away but i had not anticipated such short notice however my saddle-bags were soon stuffed full my roll was made and when the horses appeared i was ready the colonel and commission staff had gone on ahead and we were to join them later i do not know who received this information but at any rate when we were ready to go no one knew where we were to meet the colonel thus we were in the enviable position of being a w o l lost and our regiment was marching to battle we spurred our horses and raced around the town's quiet dark streets when finally someone bless him noticed several burning cigarette stubs and we shouted for joy no one in italy but americans had cigarettes in abundance so urging our heavily laden horses forward we followed this distinctly american trail and at the city gate met the last company swinging past a long procession of rolling kitchens and carts followed ending with the jolly veterinarian we fell in behind him and began the march destined to end in austria end of section five